Well, hello there and welcome to episode 132 of the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast, where we talk about conversations and the conversations you need to have to move your career forward, conversations that build culture, and conversations that make the world a better place. And today I'm excited to have a guest from New York City who is also a communication expert, but from a different point of view. Her name is Judith Weinman. She goes by Judy, and she is the founder of Accent on Speech. She does coaching and she does workshops. She helps people with accents and executive presence and voice. And she's done a lot of work also around neurolinguistics. So welcome to the podcast, Judy. It's great to have you. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I want to get started. I want to jump right in. Like, how did you get into this specialty? I'm guessing you started off as a speech therapist, but tell me your path to how you got started professionally to becoming the founder of Accent on Speech. Okay, sure. Well, I was always fascinated with voice and accent. And I was always a natural mimic. I always imitated voices I heard growing up, accents, different personalities, singers. And I also, I love words and language. And I'm fascinated with communication. And I majored in linguistics in college. And I found myself gravitating toward communication sciences. And so I got a master's in speech language pathology. And for many years, I worked with people who have voice disorders, speech disorders, learning delays. I work with stutterers, post-stroke patients, and people like, and children with language delays. And the more I worked, I always felt like there's a spectrum. There's a general spectrum within the wide population of these abilities. And I was always curious to me, when is it considered a pathology? When is it considered a problem? When is it considered an issue? And so much of that has to do with the cultural, the status quo, in a way, and norms, and how much credence we pay to norms. And I realized that adults, quote, neurotypical adults, struggle with many of the same issues as the clients I dealt with in speech pathology, in getting their message across in feeling comfortable and confident in their voices. And so I started branching out and working with non-native speakers of English who needed to work on improving their intelligibility for their professional career. And not only their intelligibility, but their ability to feel comfortable and confident in speaking the language. And because English is the dominant business language of the world, whether you like it or not, <laughs> and whether it's fair or not, you need to present clearly and confidently in this language, even if it's not your native tongue. So that in itself brings up a lot of issues <laughs> in that's, business. That's, yeah. yeah, that's right. It's funny that you're early aptitudes, you could have become a comedian, a stand-up comedian with your ability to mimic and you're interested in voice and words, but instead you became someone to help people to really shine professionally. I think that it's so interesting. And I guess we share the observation that we see or have seen people for whom speaking up, speaking well, it just seems to be so easy for them and so natural. And then there's other people 
who have a hard time or they're just on the quiet side. And I think, and this is my story on that, and and maybe it's finding excuses for myself, but, you know, in school, those of us who are good students and quiet, not giving any trouble to the teacher, always just turning in what was asked of us, getting good grades, and it kind of programs you to think that success in the business world is going to be just turning in, you know, the work that's required. But then what I saw earlier in my career was that these people who were not good students and who developed these great communication skills by sweet talking the teacher into extensions, bonus points, and, you know, all kinds of things that they did have skills that I didn't have that were very useful in their careers. That's so interesting. Absolutely. When you see people in the business world bring this up to me a lot, my clients will say, these other people in my team are getting credit and props for just for their style, pretty much. That's an important lesson to learn as you graduate into the real world, into the professional world, is that the way we say something, the way you sound, your vocal presence can sometimes be twice as important, as impactful as the words you're speaking. Your presence, as Mark Twain says, your vocal presence speaks more than your words. <laughs> oh, I didn't know Mark Twain said that. Okay, mm-hmm. very cool. Well, I want to start off by talking about non-native accents. And I want you to know that I'm married to a Venezuelan who has a charming accent. In fact, my kids tell me if he ever loses his accent, that our relationship will have no future because I just find it so <laughs> cute. But I, I've also lived abroad. So I know what it's like to speak German and French and Spanish with an accent and have other people struggle to understand me. So I've been on both sides of the coin. And in my coaching practice, I see a lot of non-native English speakers. And I will put the plug in for English in that it is an easy language to learn compared to a lot of other languages. So I think that helps support it as the international language. We don't have to worry about the masculine, feminine, neuter nouns and the grammatical structure is a lot easier. And one thing, I took Arabic for a short while, but when the teacher said there were three different ways to write each letter of the alphabet, I was like, no, that's too hard. I can't handle it. But anyway, tell me about your work with people with non-native accents and the problems that they face and what to do about them. And I know there's a spectrum. Some people barely have an accent and some people have quite a strong one. And But I see the overall balance is so net positive In fact, I recently wrote a blog post about the things that non-native English speakers bring to the table, like creativity and more cognitive neural pathways and a resilience that native speakers don't have. But when I mentioned it to my husband, like I said, Venezuelan, I said, honey, I'm writing this article about what non-native speakers bring to the corporate table. And he said, what, you mean besides a lot of misspelled words? <laughs> and that just speaks, you know, to his point of view is that he just sees how he misspells words or mispronounces words. So what, tell me about your work with that. Well, that's interesting. Just to expand, talk a little bit about the topic of your article, different languages, people from different linguistic backgrounds bring a different culture as well. With a language becomes a culture and a way of thinking. So it's not just not just the language difference. Right. And, language, and knowing grammar. that there's other ways yeah, to do exactly. things. Exactly. And so, so much yeah, along with that note, I worked with a Japanese man who 
you would end up sitting through meetings and virtually not speaking up because, you know, culturally you wait till another person has finished speaking before you speak up and, you know, you offer your input. And this is a New York office. (laughs) 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 And, you know, in Japanese, often critical information is at the end of a sentence too. So maybe that's part of why they wait till someone's done speaking in addition to it's just polite. But it was very hard for him in these meetings to adapt to this style. And then when he did speak up, he had a strong accent and he felt self-conscious and he kind of talked low and fast, which compounded the problem. So in my work with him, we did role play in which he would start to say something and I would jump in. I would jump in like, and then I'd have him do the same thing. It was actually really funny. It was fun. And it kind of broke down cultural and barriers and kind of, it was fun. It brought humor to it and broke down the seriousness of it a bit and relaxed him. And we did that. And in addition to that, we worked on his accent. You know, not every person with an accent needs accent production therapy. If your intelligibility is interfering with your success and your ability to be understood, yes, I think not only should you get it, I think it should be offered by the company because if you're valued, they want to support your well-being. It's mental health as well. It's a struggle to struggle alone with that kind of, you're not, you don't always feel so comfortable in speaking up. I feel self-conscious about my speech, et cetera. So but with him, We worked on intelligibility. We worked on linking his sounds coming from Japanese because everything, you know, it's more syllabic. So Mm. chewing gummy, connecting the sounds and specific sounds we worked on like R and L, specific sounds that are very frequently occurring in English that affect intelligibility. So we prioritized what's affecting his intelligibility the most and we addressed those issues. Not every sound, of course, just the ones that are most salient and the ones that are important to intelligibility. And again, with that, we did role play. I had him even play American parts. (laughs) And that's another thing that really works wonders with clients, you know, taking on a different identity. When one allows oneself to speak differently, You don't feel like you're being, oh, this isn't genuine. It's not authentic. You're allowing yourself to feel and sound a different way. You're giving yourself permission to find a different feeling in your body and sound and voice. Exactly. And these strategies really work. And that's where my background, I have to say, in acting and singing comes in very, very (laughs) handy because it's so effective. Okay. So after about 10 sessions, it did wonders (laughs) for his performance And now at the same time I worked with him, I was communicating with his HR and explaining, listen, I don't know if he feels comfortable in speaking, saying this outright, but you need to be aware of different cultural styles. And his in particular is to, you know, wait until others have stopped speaking. So you, as the team leader with this awareness, you could make this meeting much more effective for everybody if you are aware of these slight differences. And so it's, the onus isn't always the person with the accent or the difference. It's awareness for the whole group. Absolutely. And everyone benefits, right? And, and the whole group becomes stronger and more supportive when these types of issues are talked about. You know, it's not so, not such a stigma, you know. More open discussion is and conversation is just crucial. Incredible. Oh. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It reminds me, your story reminds me of a engineer. I didn't coach him. He was in a class and I think he was from the Philippines. And he was telling me that when he first moved to the United States, which I guess think it was after college, that he felt assaulted by the directness of the American workplace because in the Asian cultures, you know, it's more polite to be quiet and to speak when spoken to, especially if you're junior, which he would have been at that time. Absolutely. And, you know, things that we have no idea. That, first of all, people who are loud often don't even know they're being loud. Absolutely. And cultural mindsets are very deeply embedded. The tradition is still there. I work with Eastern European and Asian quite a bit. And even the young, younger Asian women, and even they feel like, oh, I'm being abrasive. I'm being insubordinate. Mm -hmm. It really is a shift in, in mentality. I worked with a Russian woman who said she felt like she was being excluded from office culture, and especially by the other women. And when she came in, she did have kind of a severe demeanor. And many Eastern Europeans hold their sound back in the throat. It's more mm-hmm. back in the throat. Yes. And, and the internal serious. It sounds serious. And yet when I talked to her, when I got to know her, she was funny. She had a good sense of humor. And I liked her a lot. But sure, that would be my first impression. And her whole office, it was a, were they were American. Okay, she was the only non-American. And so in her intonation, she would kind of start mid-range and then hunker down. So it sounded rather flat. So we worked on raising her pitch and incorporating a greater range of intonation and bringing, focusing the sound forward in her mouth and her face. And that in itself made her face more expressive. And so she was less reserved because Americans are more forward in your face. (laughs) And and this American office was interpreting her as being staid and with aloof and cold. And she wasn't. Right. Uh, But probably some people felt intimidated by her. Yeah, could be, or just, they didn't feel a warmth. And so again, I felt in a way like, why should it be her issue? Well, she doesn't have the home field advantage. (laughs) Right. in an American office. So we're going to address these things. And when you work with someone, it's always, it is a bit of therapy. There's a bit of a therapeutic aspect involved. And you never want to jostle someone's sense of identity, self, comfort. The way we approached it was, okay, let's, again, not have this, the idea of stigma or, oh, or, whatever, these things, but okay, let's play with your voice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like changing from the waltz to the cha-cha. Right, 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 right. You're still expressing yourself, but with a different energy. Okay. Right. And you don't want to dance with an accent. You want to express yourself fully and completely, not be misunderstood, misinterpreted. Exactly. Well, I have one more question on accents and, and that is the mindset part And like I told you, I have been on both sides of the aisle. I remember, I mean, I have many stories, but just one example, being in Venezuela, being in a restaurant, ordering the dinner, whatever I wanted. And the waiter 
who saw me, I mean, this happened so many times, people could not believe that somebody that looks like me could speak fluent Spanish. And so he would, because that was his mindset, he just couldn't understand what I was saying. So he asked my husband, who simply repeated what I had said. But I also saw it with a non-native speaker, like in a store where the person maybe isn't that educated. And they just see this, you know, look and they hear an accent and they just kind of shut down. So do you advise people in business, you know, joining a team, making a presentation to say something about their accent early on to kind of get it out and answer people's questions like, oh, where is this person from? Or, I mean, what is your point of view on what someone with an accent, how they should handle that when they're meeting new people or speaking up in a business context? Well. This is more and more of a global world, and I don't see what accent has to do with anything in your presentation. Unless you're unintelligible, why should it come up? I mean, you're afraid that your audience isn't going to understand you. Never apologize for your issue. or Oh, I'm not saying to apologize. apologize. But I don't know why a person would need to bring it up. I'll tell you my reason is because Some people are very curious. And so instead of listening to the message, they're thinking, huh, I wonder where that person's from. What a charming accent. And so they're listening to that. I mean, it happens to me all the time. If I don't know where they're from, I'm just kind of just listening to the way they say it and not to what they say. And I think it's an asset to to say, you know, I'm from, you may hear a slight accent. I'm from so-and-so. And just to kind of answer that question, because everybody is so distracted today, I think anything a speaker does to direct the attention to what the message is, but you know, I'm not a speech therapist. So I just was wondering what. That's interesting because sometimes my clients say, I'm tired of being asked where I'm from. (laughs) And I always think the people, I guess maybe I'm wrong, but I always think people are asking that just to make conversation and get to know them more. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, that is why they're asking. Um, They're curious. Yeah. I mean, if you see the last name of the person, you often are aware of the accent, or if you know who this presenter is, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. So that's an acceptable answer. Well, if the person speaking feels like they're going to be concentrating on my accent, they're going to be paying attention to that more than what I speak. If it makes you feel comfortable saying, listen, I have a slight French accent or whatever, I speak, if it makes you feel more comfortable, fine, fine with me. But you know, the one thing, the one thing you don't want is for your accent to take up a greater, more energy in your mind than it needs to. So in other words, say what you want to say. If you're preoccupied with your accent or saying something slightly incorrectly, don't be. Oh, absolutely. I I always say, have you spoken with an American recently? (laughs) Great point. Great point. Yeah. And I always tell my clients, listen, if two people get up, the first person gets up and has perfect English, but is stayed and not, and doesn't connect to the audience and is unemotional. And then the next person gets up and has a strong accent that is really connected to their (laughs) message and passionate and just committed to getting their ideas across. Well, obviously, guess who I'm going to be affected by? Influenced by. Exactly. Yeah. So as long as you're intelligible and it's not affecting your confidence, your mindset, et cetera, I don't know why you'd have to bring it up. 
unless it's a very, I don't know, if you know your audience, maybe more, depending on who your audience is, if there are people who aren't accustomed to accents, I guess maybe in New York, or I guess we're so accustomed to accents, maybe in a small town, or a, I don't know, you might mm-hmm. say, listen, I have a, an accent. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, it's just, I guess we could debate that the whole time because like if somebody's from a certain industry in a certain country, somebody in the audience might know somebody there and might want to ask them about that. So I see it as advantageous if you're international and to say, you know, I am from so-and-so because it adds a layer of interest and- Well, I think accents are interesting. I think it makes, yeah, a speaker interesting, especially I think Americans also actually like difference. Yes, yeah. we do. So, we do. Right. We absolutely do. I think we find it can be charming or just fascinating. But let's switch. We don't have much time yeah, yeah. left. Sure, and sure. of course, you know, I can tell I'm just fascinated by this topic. But I want to talk about voice. And I, I'm sure our listeners can appreciate that you have a very attractive, easy to listen to voice. So tell me about your work with voice and how can we change our voices and should we change our voices and enlighten us about that? (laughs) Okay. Well, what I think most people don't realize and understand is that the voice is such a malleable instrument. And the way we sound and the way we speak, so much of it has just been cobbled together through cultural influences and personal experiences, and our impressionable younger selves. You know, I work with women who sometimes still talk the way they did when they're in sorority. Uh, And when they enter the business world, (laughs) it's just like the style of dress you wear. Every once in a while, you need to reassess. Does what I'm wearing represent who I am now? Does the way I speak now represent who I am now, how I feel? how I want to be perceived. When I talk to these women, you're not a sorority sister anymore. You're not all wearing (laughs) the same sweatshirt. You're not a conform. Be yourself. (laughs) Whenever we take on a style, it just smacks of that. I'm speaking in a particular style. Like I speak in glottal fry, you know, because my peers speak that way. You know, everyone responds to an authentic, clear, open voice that's connected to the breath, and the body, and the ideas. And we can sense when somebody's holding back, right? Or when they're tight, or when they're putting on a certain demeanor or style to like to play a role. And we subconsciously or unconsciously, we hear that. We pick up on those cues. You know, we've got radar. Right. (laughs) And they can be distracting, you know. So what do you call that when people, especially younger females, Make a statement that sounds like a question. Oh, well, that's it's typically referred to as upspeak. Upspeak. I was thinking it was uptick, but it was upspeak. Upspeak. That's the most common term for it. It's interesting. See, a lot of New Zealanders and Australians speak like that. And there's a theory that uh, they were the first up speakers. <laughs> but, you know, and, and more women do it than men. And it is kind of a way of saying, you still with me? You with me? That's cool. And that's fine. Some upspeak is fine. Are you with me? Mm-hmm. Okay. But not habitually, obviously. And Upspeak's talked about a lot. So is Glottal Fry. So then even with those issues with women, is women who speak with just a small part of their voice mm-hmm. or are they speak from their throat? And then when they try to be heard, they push and they sound shrill mm-hmm. instead of like taking up the space in their body. 
and just really letting their voice out, connected to their breath, really smooth, really easy, really comfortable. So we have a habit of making ourselves smaller or holding back, and we're not even conscious of it sometimes. All right? Yeah. <laughs> you, so, so you really do have the voices thing <laughs> So how do I know if I have my best voice? Coach me, well, make it better. Okay. Well, one thing we can do is talk about the different resonance chambers okay. uh, in the body. So there are three main resonance chambers in the body for voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, so we're wind instruments, so we're powered by air, by breath. And then resonance is created through vibration in the spaces of our body, the bones and cavities of our bodies. The more relaxed and open the spaces, the more vibration. Wherever we're focusing the resonance. So my res- if I'm focusing the sound in the front of my face, like mm-hmm. if I put my finger on my nose and say, and channel and think, I'm speaking from my nose. Say that. I'm speaking I'm, from my I'm nose. I'm speaking from my nose. Right. So the sound is being channeled to the front, right? And we need some of that resonance in our voice. It gives you a clear, like focused sound, right? And if you're in a loud environment, that voice will save you from losing your voice and it will cut through background noise, incorporate some of that nasal resonance, Mm -hmm. cut through. Now, if you put your hand on your throat and say, I'm speaking from my throat. I'm speaking from my throat. Right. And you'll feel, it'll sound more, I think more softer, Mm -hmm. more compassionate. That would be, I don't think of myself as sounding very compassionate. But unless you're, unless you're squeezing your throat, unless you're squeezing your throat or tightening it, then you can be speaking from your throat with a tightened voice. But if you're just, if you're focusing the energy at your throat without the bottom, without your ribs and your belly, that's your voice. And sometimes I work with men who use one voice for everything. (laughs) (laughs) The outdoor voice. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I worked with this man, this Estonian construction worker who was promoted to an indoor job, an office job, where he had to speak. He had more functions, had more people skills. And I was saying, listen, you can't tell someone they're being laid off like this. You can tell someone they're being laid off. So, you know, it's it's interesting. We did this two ways. Mm -hmm. I said, that was one way, speaking from your throat and think of like this water, compassionate voice, like the chakras, mm-hmm. the water. Is mm-hmm. And we also sang a few lullabies <laughs> to find a sound. And he sang a few lullabies. And then I had him tell me I was being laid off. <laughs> okay. So because it was a strategy to help him find that sound in his voice, which he had, he just needed to access it. Right. right. Oh, that's so cool. Very cool. So, okay, back to the that's- resonance. So the nose, the raised nasal resonance, the throat, speaking from your throat, and then speaking, no, but then you put your hand on your chest and you imagine the sound and the vibration is all happening in your chest and it's really open, really open and really relaxed. There's no tension. Ah, I'm speaking from my chest. I'm speaking from my chest. But don't deepen it and don't strain it. Okay. Don't push it. Don't push okay. it all. It's allowing. I'm speaking from my chest. I'm speaking from my chest. I'm open, speaking from my chest. Really open, really relaxed. Oh, imagine, okay, let the sound even drop into your chair. Oh, and think I'm of, speaking from my chair. 
chest. Yeah, nice. Or think of your gut. If you think of speech as coming from your belly button in your gut, mm -hmm. you will have a much better, deeper, more resonant sound. Don't think of speech as coming from this sound, this hole in your face. Mm -hmm. Think of it as coming from your gut. You're speaking with your whole being. I'm right? speaking with my whole being with my from my belly oh my. button. Does that sound better? Yep. I'm speaking okay. from my gut. I'm speaking from my gut. I'm speaking from my gut. Ah. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when you're connected to your message, you're connected to your gut, you speak mm -hmm. from the gut, right? You're con yeah. more connected to your breath. And we speak on our exhalation. We're connected to our breath. If you're holding your breath at any point, like mm -hmm. up high, it's going to reduce the sound. It's going to weaken it, dampen it. But if it's, if you're inhaling completely and you're allowing breath to fill your body, and feel this instrument completely, you're using your whole body, your whole self. You're communicating with your whole being. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. So now I'm speaking from my gut. And, and it takes practice. It takes practice. It does. To, I'm going, yes. Yeah, to find these different sounds. Mm -hmm. And with my clients, I use different strategies like characters and singing. Oh, and like I had a woman who would get up and she would present and she would present really like this mm -hmm. as if she were talking to herself, you know, like she, <laughs> she funny. was talking to herself. And I said, listen, communication, it's not self-expression. Communication is considering the needs of the listeners mm -hmm. and the audience. Correct. It's a performance in an effect. You need to consider the room. What are all the players needs? What do I need in order for this message to be conveyed? to resonate and to influence <laughs> or affect. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's not just me saying these words. Right. It's changing the hearts and minds of people in the world. Exactly. Reach them. And we do that with our song. Ah, hear my song. You Okay. And it's powerful. Mm -hmm. Right. So I had this woman, I would have her get up and deliver a, a sermon. Like who's the famous uh, Jonathan Edwards? Edwards. I'd have a, a sermon and she would preach it. I'd get her to preach it as, you know, as harsh as she could. And then I'd have her deliver the first several lines of her presentation. And this, we're going to, then we tone it down. But she was able to find some passion. All right. Was sorely lacking from her delivery. But and again, once she found that feeling and sound, okay, she recognized it and could cultivate it and bring it up, bring it down. Ah, play with it. Maybe it, she was totally capable of finding and making the sound. It was just had been up on a shelf for a long time or something. It was just a matter of access. Oh, of course. I mean, right you, don't or, right? Know, yeah. you don't even yeah. know that what you're capable of. That is so interesting. Okay, we're almost out of time. I want, but we have to touch this topic of executive presence. So many questions about that. I want to know for Judy Weinman, what is executive presence and just Give, you know, our audience just some ideas to work with or a tip, you know, to especially, you know, we have a lot of technical people in the audience, accountants, engineers, product managers. How can anyone have more executive presence and what is it? Okay. Well, I believe there are two components. One is that your message is clear in its delivery and your job typically when speaking to a client or coworkers at a meeting or in a presentation is to distill a large amount of information on your topic of expertise 
filter it through your perspective and communicate it in a concise and digestible form. Your perspective needs to be conveyed. I don't want just great information. I want to feel it and interpret it through your lens and the way that you understand it and appreciate it. Because when I hear that, I'm able to access and become in tune to how I connect to it. And if I don't sense your genuine connection, I'm not going to be sold. I want to work with you because I hear you, I trust you, and I like you. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you can't just say, I'm going to play this role. I'm going to deliver the goods. No, you have to connect to it. And I have to get to know you because business ultimately is a human endeavor. Indeed, it is. Very cool. Well, Judy, this has been so much fun and learning so much about the voice and you have a great approach. It's so entertaining. You're, (laughs) you know, presentations need to be educational, engaging and entertaining. And you just, you hit all three so beautifully. So thank you. And please let the audience know how they can get in touch with you and leave any, can have the last word and leave us with a thought or your point of view on communication, voice, accent, let us know what you think. Yeah, well, you can get in touch with me. My name's Judith Weinman, and my website is www.accentjweinman.com, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. And if I was to say anything, I would say that you can communicate the way you want to communicate. And the choices are wider than you might think. You are not set in one voice or one way of speaking, you are a a complex being. And there are many ways to express yourself. And that's the beauty of of being alive is finding and understanding different ways of experiencing ourselves and connecting with others. So that's the joy. All right. So (laughs) I am going to say goodbye from my gut. So I hope you can hear <laughs> I'm speaking from my gut. I'm saying goodbye. Aww. This has been fun. And thank you all for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Speak Up Podcast.